Money FM 89.3, best of prime time. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Well, that's right. You're listening to Money FM 89.3. I'm Chua Tian Tian with your market view. Now, all eyes on European markets as investors continue to mount economic risks in the region, while a better-than-expected U.S. non-farm payrolls report has provided a brief relief to markets. The indefinite closure of the Nord Stream 1 pipeline to Germany has ignited fears of an energy crunch ahead of winter. The euro fell to test a two-decade low earlier this week. The sterling hit a 2.5-year low, reflecting investors sentiment. So, what's going on here? And we'd also want to find out very quickly the implications of global uncertainties on Asian markets. And with that, let me introduce our guest for today. Manish Singh is the Chief Investment Officer of Crossbridge Capital Group and he joins us live from the UK. Hi, Manish. Hi, good afternoon, Tian I should say good morning since you're in the UK. Manish, perhaps let's start with Europe since you are there. Lots of things going on. We have the indefinite closure of the Nord Stream 1 pipeline. But at the same time, the EU is now urging China and India to join the G7 initiative, the price cap on oil prices. So where do you see all of these going? What does it mean for energy prices in the near term? In near term, energy prices are going to stay higher or at least where it is. And with respect to this price cap that G7 has come up with, I mean, we've seen one impact of that already that the Nord Stream 1 has shut down. So um, I, I don't think it's a very wise thing, but well, that's what the policy has been made. And speaking specifically about Europe in terms of the energy storage that we have here, I think the the dire scenarios being predicted, at least for this winter, may not come true because soil levels are at a very high level. However, if this continues and the Russian supply is not uh, replenished by any other sources going into next year, then I think it could be a problem. But the numbers that I have seen now and the storage numbers at the EU level and Germany level does not give me as much of a concern. Mm-hmm. And you've seen in second quarter businesses have already cut down supply uh, using energy supply uh, energy supply used by 15 20%. So I think that we might we may be able to tide over winter unless it's a very severe winter then then we don't know, right? Hmm. And Manish I want to post you this in fact this piece of news just came out about an hour ago Gazprom saying that the Nord Stream 1 resumption will depend on Siemens Energy fixing the faulty parts. How do you see all of that going? What is the assessment yeah, of so, the situation? Yeah, yeah, this is like such a hilarious thing you know that mm. Side is literally using each other that you don't want to supply and uh, you know the, the machine parts are not working. But if you put the numbers in context, the mm. Nord Stream One was supplying only at 20% of its capacity, that is mm. 10 terawatt hour. So that 20% capacity has now gone down to zero. So what Europe is really missing out, let's say over the next four or five months, is 50 terawatts. But the overall storage runs at like a thousand terawatts. It's five percent, or I would say less than. 5% of energy that Europe would have got from Nord Stream 1 over the next five months. So I would say it's important because every little energy counts, as you know, if winter is severe. But in overall context, I think Europe will be fine. It's just that if you have a very severe winter, then you end up using more storage. You cannot run your storage to zero, as you know, because mm. you can't run your storage to zero. So I think there are a few questions, but I do not see a lot of dire predictions coming out through this year. However, you have to think about what happens next year. You need to replace this supply from somewhere, and that needs to be worked out over the next few months. Hmm. How do you see the Iran nuclear deal going, in fact? Well, I think it's, again, a very political one, isn't it? Hmm. The way geopolitics is, is being, yep. is being hmm. perceived. 
and you never know whose interest is being served by various things that we are seeing. You know, when Prime Minister Johnson uh, put embargo on on, on on Russia, we saw that everyone was said that things are going to get worse in Russia. But if you see the food prices here is higher, energy prices here is higher, but not in Russia. But of course, things are much worse in other, other cases in Russia. So there's a huge amount of politics and geopolitics going on. And it's very difficult to predict which way things are going to, to move next, because as you see, Russia and China, they're planning their own alternative to U.S. dollar in many ways by doing bilateral trade in renminbi and how those things are going. So there's lots going on, Tianjin, which is very mm. difficult to, to conclude and make a judgment now. Mm. Uh, but for now, I would say it's energy price and inflation, which is the main focus where everyone is thinking about. And I know we'll talk about the new UK prime minister, but I think it's just inflation and energy prices keeps everyone occupied. Mm, so inflation, energy prices, of course, fears of a recession too. Some analysts, they have put their foot down to say that Europe is already in a recession. What are your thoughts? How deep and long of a recession do you expect, actually? Yeah, so that's true, Tianjin, because one of the consequences that we are seeing of high energy prices and the reason the storage levels are high in Europe and Germany is because Europe is paying top dollar, top money to get the gases. Mm. But that has and other consequences. It means that your spending is, is going to decrease on the other side and that is going to hurt other discretionary spending. So if you have same amount of income and your energy bill has gone up by 100%, which means that you will cut your discretionary spending on clothes or eating out or travel or leisure. So I think that has an impact on the economy, and which is why you're seeing the PMI numbers in Eurozone are hmm. keep, keeps falling down and looks dire. And that is basically that is going to bring about recession because most of your money now you are using on energy. And that means you're cutting down on other other spending. And that could lead to slowdown in, in the economy. Hmm. And in the meantime, Manish, what is your assessment of equity markets in Europe? Which sectors should investors be putting their money into right now amid all those uncertainties that we talked about? Yeah, so I think, I mean, for me, I'm overweight U.S. dollar, overweight U.S. Uh, equity. So I do not have a lot of trades going on in Europe. But if you're looking to pick, I think then the defensive sectors like healthcare and others are going to be the ones you should look at. Uh, consumer discretionary sector probably will be do, doing bad. Consumer staples will be fine. Mm-hmm. Financials will probably will be okay because ECB is going to increase rates by another 75 basis point from what I see. Uh, it's in the news on 22nd of September when they meet. So I think financials will be fine. And I have one long position in BNP, which I continue to hold. But in general, I am very light on Europe and Eurozone because mm. of the huge amount of uncertainty that is still there. And especially over the winter months. Mm, certainly. So, Manish, in the meantime, we have seen a flurry of pent-up company bond sales in Europe. What are the factors driving that move? Where do you see all of this going, actually? Yeah, so that's true. Because if you look at the high issuance in particular in Europe, mm. in first half of this year, it was down by almost 78 to 80%. Mm. Now, why did that happen? Because that's when inflation really started rising. And if you're a bond investor you want to have the best uh, coupon being paid by the corporate. So you don't want to buy it. And the corporate didn't come up with issuances because probably they were not getting enough buyer. Now, the second factor to bear in mind, the QE is not going to continue at the same pace because every central bank, Mm. and they were a big buyer of corporate bonds, especially in Europe, they are backing off. So that led to less and less issuance. Now, as we think that inflation, now, of course, in Germany, inflation is at 7.5 or 8% Mm. or maybe slightly higher. We are coming to a point where we think we might be at peak inflation or near peak inflation. And this is where the yields being offered by bond, or by bond issuers are attractive 
to mm. bondholders and bond investors. And that is leading to uh, the new set of issuances because that big part of uncertainty, and of course there's more uncertainty down the line, but you're not issuing bonds at one, one and a half percent yield, but much higher. And that investors will find attractive. Mm. If you're just tuning in, we're now speaking to Manish Singh, Chief Investment Officer at Crossbridge Capital Group. Manish, I want to talk about the euro and the British sterling as well. Euro was testing a 20-year low earlier this week amid those Russian gas cuts. Sterling also hit a 2.5-year low. So when do you see both currencies bottoming off, actually? So let's take it one by one. I think mm. with euro... I, I think that there is more downside to euro and you're not going to see a reversal mm. in euro anytime soon. Having said that, given the amount of bullishness that people have on dollar, and I am bullish myself, I think that may not last for long. It does not mean you go negative on dollar because you have all these risks that we have talked about in eurozone. But I do see there is more downside to euro. But if you ask me in six months' time where the euro is going to be, probably it's going to be slightly higher from here. So you might have a downside and then you will have a reversal because once the risk goes away, remember dollar is the unit of account. If you're an international investor, fund investor, anything, if you want to sell out of all non-US assets because you're feeling threatened or afraid, then you convert back into dollars. So a lot of the dollar strength is not because of inherent strength in US economy, mm. but it's a momentum trade. I People have moved into dollar. Mm. Now that's one point. Second, you look at the real rate. The real rate in US are still very attractive. Your two-year yield is 3.5%. Inflation is almost 8, 8% last print, right? So your real rates are, are higher in US compared to Europe, where inflation is at 8%, but the two-year yield has, is at 1%, at least in case of Germany. So that is helping the dollar as well. So those things have to reverse for euro to benefit. Mm. For sterling, uh, uh, we have a new prime minister who apparently will have an expansionary fiscal policy. That doesn't help the sterling. I mean, that may help sterling later on if the rates have to rise to keep inflation under control and the real rate starts looking attractive. But for now, I would say both euro and sterling has downside and people will still be a buyer of dollar versus this currency. Mm. Manish, speaking about the new prime minister in the UK, to what extent do you think she'll be able to deliver on her campaign promise? And also, how much of an impact do you think this would have on markets there, really? I think that, you know, people are underestimating Liz Truss. I mean, she has a very good background mm. uh, in the sense that you know, she was economist before. She understands business. She has been in various ministries and departments. She's not... Uh, a person who just runs things just by herself. She has a very trust, uh, at least if Kwasi Kwarteng becomes the chancellor, then she has a good relation with his, her would-be chancellor. So I think there's lots that she can do. But what what is it, What uh, the thing that can overwhelm her will mm. be in terms of how big a spending plan UK economy can take. Because remember, in COVID, we probably spent around $65 billion supporting the economy. Now we're talking about 100 billion, sorry, uh, $65 billion. Pound. We're talking about 100 billion pounds to put a cap or put freeze the energy bill. Let's see what she announces today. Mm. But if she goes down that path of placating the people and keeping the bill down, which I think makes sense because if you are not going to keep the bills down, then it could have a spiral effect on many parts of the economy. Mm. It could have restaurants that are going to close down. That leads to other people getting unemployed. So freezing energy bill is going to cornerstone of a policy, which comes with spending money. And then you'll have to take into account how does that impact inflation and where the interest rate goes. So it's not an easy thing for her, but I would still, my bet will be that she is going to deliver on most of her promises in a very courageous manner. And I think she has the backing of the party and the people to deliver that.
Mm, so walking on a tightrope to help households, businesses cope with the cost of living crisis, but also preventing spiraling inflation and yeah. all. But I want to turn our attention to look at Asian markets, right? We talked about all those recessionary fears in Europe, all the uncertainties. How do you think that would weigh on Asian markets? Which are the Asian markets that are most vulnerable? Some are saying Singapore and Thailand. Do you agree with that? I mean, I, I, I would say that I'm not an avid watcher of Thailand and Singapore markets, mm. but I'd see at a global level. I would say a global comment on emerging markets for me would be that U.S. dollar strength, uh, I, I think we have seen most of the U.S. dollar strength. The last bits are probably remaining. Mm. Uh, and that means emerging market from here on should be fine because a lot of time, as you know, dollar drives a lot of people running away from emerging market and then seeking uh, the, uh, the, the safety of other currencies. Having said that, uh, the discretionary demand, both in the U.S. and in the Europe, is going to be lower. Mm. So the market that can sustain its own discretionary demands domestically will be fine because you will have your own domestic demand. We see this in India as well, how the domestic demand is growing. The markets that have domestic uh, investors who are investing in domestic equities, and if they can sustain, then it will be fine again. But there is definitely a sense that if energy bills remain high, and that's more true for the U.S. and European market, then the discretionary demand coming from this side is going to affect how much emerging markets can expose, export to the Western world. Mm. And that could weigh temporarily on the emerging market. But I don't think in any way it is going to be catastrophic because it's not the same energy pressure that you are feeling in India as you mm. feel in the UK or Europe or mm. any other market for China as well. China is getting a very good deal with, with Russia. So, mm. of course, there are other things to weigh because you have China CPC meeting and everything else, zero COVID policy that they are following in China, which doesn't make sense. And those things have to unwind. So those things will take some time to unwind. But I would not see this is one of those Asian crisis moments, other things that people talk about. I don't think we are we are going to be down that path. And, and those things are way in the, in the past. It's just gone in the past. We have emerging markets which are well-run, well-reformed, have moved away from US dollar, and that should be the strength of the emerging market. Well, thanks very much, Manish. That was Manish Singh, Chief Investment Officer at Crossbridge Capital Group. Thanks a lot, Manish. Great speaking to you. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.